So good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Um, so we're going to be continuing in this series that we're in with um, the whole idea of moving from Luke to Acts uh, with kind of an emphasis on being a witness. And so we're going to continue that. We'll focus on these verses 35 through 43 in chapter 18 of Luke, but I thought it might be good if we just kind of take an overview or kind of go through the whole chapter of 18 briefly, uh, because I think all of it uh, is super relevant when we think of our relationship with God and how we interact with God, and then we can get into this afterwards. Um, so this chapter is going to really be talking about uh, this uh, first parable about this um, widow and um, this uh, judge who is an uncaring, unloving, not God-fearing kind of guy um, who sees her as a nuisance. <laughs> and then we're going to get into a, uh, a, the second parable um, about, um, you know, this comparison between these two people that go up for prayer. One of them is a Pharisee, one of them is a tax collector. And I think the correlation there is going to be something that's kind of interesting and might be telling us a little bit about ourselves. Um, and then Jesus goes on to teach about the rich and the poor and um, moves on to eventually getting to this section. So let's start with a word of prayer. So, Father God, we just want to start off by being silent before you, Lord God. Lord, as we picture uh, children in all the rambunctiousness, just settling down and sitting at their father's feet, and we just look up. And we see our Father, whom breathes wisdom and experience. And we want to really be immersed in all that he has for us. So our prayer this morning, Father, is for your imparting. We want to be filled with your spirit here this morning. We invite your presence here with us, Lord God. And we want to be consumed by your fire, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have in store for us this morning. And Father, I pray that you guard my words, that they be your words, as we just give you this morning, as our worship to you with great love, all to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, as uh, we get into this, um, I said earlier we'll give a kind of a brief overview of chapter 18. Um, in this section of scripture, uh, it follows immediately after uh, a section in 17 that has to do with the end times and when these end times are going to happen. So if you can kind of bear that being relevant in the context of this, it will kind of help us as we, as we move along. Uh, beginning in, uh, let's see, verse 1, um, when Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against this adversary. Uh, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> and the Lord said, listen to what 
the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It seems uh, likely this story is uh, teaching that we should um, bother God to get what we need. Is that, is that what we're doing? Should we be a nuisance to God? Hmm. Uh, do we bother God if we ask him a lot? You think God gets bothered? <laughs> you know, as we were praying this morning, I was thinking of sitting at the Father's feet. Would he be bothered <laughs> if I just persistently asked for something that I was really passionate about? I don't think so. Um, but I do imagine a father in heaven who loves his son and would want to teach his son the things that are important so that I could learn to differentiate the things that were selfish and ridiculous and weren't necessary from the things that were vitally important. And then he'd want me to be very persistent about pursuing those things. That makes sense? Um, what's the little question at the end of this sentence, however? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Huh. Has that ever happened before? Has it ever happened when God came to earth and he had trouble finding faith on earth? We'll take another look at that. The context here follows the end of the prior chapter, as I said. It will be the same as it was during the time of, or will it be the same as the time when uh, Noah was, uh, was there and Lot was there? Um, there was buying and selling going on. Uh, things were normal, routine. People were consumed with their own life. The question is, will he find faith when he comes? Um, we'll come back to this later again. Um, then verse 9, um, we see the second parable. This story is the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray in the temple. Uh, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down to everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself um, and prayed, um, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and um, he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee stood by himself and thanked God that he wasn't, wasn't like everybody else. His faith was his religion. It was his birthright. He was entitled to his place before God in his own mind. <laughs> the tax collector, on the other hand, saw his position as a sinner, unworthy to receive this enormous gift that grace is. Um, after this, we see Jesus' teaching on being uh, childlike. Uh, truly, I tell you, 
anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter in. N.T. Wright had some perspective about this idea of righteousness and whether we deserve it or are entitled to it or, or whether we need to humbly pound on our chest before God and say, I am a sinner. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Okay? Uh, Wright said, righteousness is right standing and consequent right behavior within a community. Um, he said, righteousness is at heart a relational concept. Concept, <laughs> Whereas many other commentators really kind of expound a lot on righteousness as primarily a matter of conformity to an absolute standard. You've got to be perfect, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, Wright wrote that the concept of justice is a signpost that points to the human points the human heart towards eternity and the divine. Remember, eternal life starts the moment we believe, the moment we give our life to God. This begins the whole, uh, whole new world that we enter into. Uh, once we're born into it, we're born as a baby. Uh, there's no turning back. It's a whole new world to explore. Um, and then we go on to verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since... I was a boy, he said. Then Jesus heard this. He said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Instead, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, those who heard uh, this asked, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let me say that again. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Verse 28, Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So let's talk about the rich and the poor for a minute. Um, think of the rich referenced in verse 24 as those being uh, uh, full of possessions, people that had many, many possessions, uh, or even just a few possessions. But think of the idea of holding on to those possessions with clenched fists. Like, that's what was the most important thing to you. That was what gave you your position, your status, your, uh, your sense of well-being, your sense of uh, safety, of peace. So you clench on to whatever it is, whatever kind of possession. Think of that as the definition of rich here. Uh, you know, we think in terms of capitalism. It's kind of the, the foundation of, you know, how this, how this country operates, how we, how we believe, how we perceive uh, our society in this way. All capitalism is based on the idea that money makes things right. We're sustainable, can take care of ourselves. Things are easier, better, right? 
Well, with 300 years of capitalism, it has to be at least partially right. Uh, after all, it's the American dream. But when this turns into the idea that all that exists is that which is tangible and material, and the practice of affluence is let's have as much material as possible, and that becomes the dominant worldview, um, then we're holding on to it and we're clenching it and it's too tight. But the idea that this only happens to people that have tons of money is a false idea because it could happen to somebody who is very poor because they have something and they hold on to it and they put all their trust in that thing. What's the difference of putting all your trust into things and putting your trust into God. That's the idea of the rich and the poor. Amen? So, you know, just this brief overview uh, of Luke 18. We've seen the first parable about being persistent when we pray. Um, the second parable, uh, being humble and childlike as we approach God and we talk to God, we dialogue with God. Um, then there's a section, verses 18 through th uh, 34, that talk about the rich and the poor. Um, uh, entering into the kingdom is something we haven't talked about a little bit. Verses 31 through 4, Jesus took the 12 aside and said, everything that has been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will deliver over to the me over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So this is actually the third time Jesus has explained this to the disciples. And in keeping with the other two times that he explained this, the disciples just could not understand this. It was just beyond them. You're going to get beat. You're going to get spit on. You're going to die. <laughs> you know, and all the things that were running through their head about what he was talking, none of, this, none of this made sense to them. It was really hard for them to understand. So that leads us up to the primary text that we are going to spend just a little bit of time on this morning. Um, let's go ahead and read this. Uh, beginning in verse 35, as Jesus approached. Am I doing that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Uh, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, <clears throat> have mercy on me. Well, those who led the way rebuked him and told him uh, to be quiet. But he shouted out all the more, David, or son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Listen to this question again. It's important. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine the king of the universe, the Messiah, is looking at you nose to nose and saying, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know about you, but that would send my mind just absolutely spinning. <laughs> huh? Jesus said to him, uh, I'm sorry, he said, Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Well, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. 
So I think this is an important story. It's included in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, there are some differences <laughs> that are interesting in the story. So in um, both Luke and in Mark, they are going to Jericho, and there is one blind man. But in um, Matthew, they are leaving Jericho, and there are two blind men. There's a lot of confusion, commentary-wise, about why these things are. Um, one belief was that uh, Herod had built a brand new Jericho just south of the ruins of Jericho, and that it's possible they were in that route where they were kind of leaving one and going to the other. I don't know if that's the, the thing. I think it could have been that one of the two characters who were blind was dominant, and Jesus was talking to him because that's where the dialogue occurred, but that both men reaped the benefit. Whatever the case, there are these differences between uh, the three um, synoptic gospels. Uh, where the details of the story aren't being emphasized here. The point of the story is Jesus' question to the blind man, what do you want me to do? I think he asks all of us that same question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Such a powerful question. But how do you respond? The man in the text, uh, he wanted to see. Um, I'm not sure that that's what he was thinking when he was calling out, son of David, son of David. <laughs> because what he was seeing was royalty. What he was thinking potentially was the opportunity of all of the things that God was bringing right there before him. He could have asked for anything. But as he pierced into the eyes of God, as he pierced into the eyes of Jesus, he said, I want to see. Because <laughs> what could he do if he had all the wealth in the world, if he had all the power, but he couldn't see? <laughs> he still wouldn't be able to completely sustain himself. He'd still have to rely on other people, right? But if he could see, he could sustain himself. He could start to work. I mean, the old Jericho, I mean, this was all in ruins. There were spotty populations in that ruin, ruinous city, but not a lot. And this guy was at the bottom uh, of the uh, economic chain. I mean, he was in dire poverty, but completely unable to take care of himself at all. He could have asked for anything. But being able to see meant everything. Um, so, let's see. I think where I'm going is the next one, but I may back up here. Um, when you look at the Matthew account of this, there is another story that doesn't appear in Luke or Mark, but I think it's really, really interesting because this wasn't actually the first time Jesus said, what would you like me to do for you? Because the first time he asked it happened just before this. Same journey, same time, same context. He asked the mother of James and John. He asked them the same question. And what did she say? How was her response? Was that thought of power and royalty and was that in her head at all? This is like a mature 
person following Jesus akin to discipleship, right? She was there. She had all the information. But what was her response? Her response was, I would like my sons to sit on the left and the right side of your throne in your kingdom. She got it. She understood the question. And she understood the worldly possibilities of all of this. How easy would that be for any of us to get caught in that moment? How easy would it be? You know, when you think in terms of all that really is possible with God's kingdom, sometimes uh, we think that we're making some real progress and we're really learning some important things and we're experiencing growth in our discipleship and growth in our walk with God. And then this question comes up and we get ensnared by it and we take some gigantic steps backwards. Amen? I mean, has it happened to you? Because it sure has to me. You know, we... We have various situations uh, around the church that happen all the time. You know, we get all tied up and busy about what we're doing. And I'm speaking for myself right now. My day-to-day routine involves being on a schedule, trying to get from one place to another place, trying to be... um, prepared for what's going to happen in that next place. My mind gets all focused, mostly because if I'm old and don't get focused, (laughs) I'll have so much trouble finding my car, I'll never make the meeting. (laughs) But that's me. But what usually happens on the way from that door to that car is I meet somebody. And inevitably, that person has a real need. And now I'm pressed against the clock. (laughs) What's my priority? And then trying to reel that back. Is my priority about me? (laughs) Or is my priority about God? (laughs) Because I think this happens to us all the time. So that childlike faith, that ability to walk this out, is an ongoing challenge. I think the the real difficulty with people that have more things, um, not only in terms of possessions, but in terms of position. You have to be in more places, more people are counting on you. Um, You have a job that is really super important and you want to be responsible for being in the right place at the right time. But I think when God's kingdom comes into play and there's, there's a, a critical need, you won't always ignore yourself. You won't always not do the thing that needs to be done on your own schedule because the priority will dictate that that's an essential thing. But if I could count the number of times when it wasn't important, it was just about me and how I was being perceived, I think I get ensnared with the prioritization of God's kingdom work all the time. I have to make those decisions all the time. So I hope that this is an encouragement for you. I, I, I hope this is encouraging in that this conflict is normal. It's every day. It happens at all economic classes. It happens in all the different places within our community. We're all just people, and we're all trying to work through this. But if we can picture 
being at the feet at the, of the Father God, who is all wisdom. When it is a kingdom issue, he'll show us. He'll teach us, right? And we can learn if we're paying attention. So, uh, when you are with God in prayer, are you persistent? Are you humble before God? And when God asks the question, what can I do for you? What's your answer? Is it more kingdom? More Holy Spirit? More opportunity? More kingdom moments? Or is it, Lord, please get me to this meeting in time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, just, it's just the dynamic of our life. Can I ask the worship team to come up, please? I just pray that um, wherever we're at right now, God, however we came in this morning, give us the strength or the, the clarity or even the humility, God, just to kind of set things in front of you. pray that you'd pull down anything between us and you, God.
be a sacrifice Let me dedicate my life to only worship you One more time here And let this be a sacrifice Let me dedicate my life to worship you
movie, The Notebook. I don't know if you've seen it. And um, there's this scene in the movie where Noah, the main character, who's in love with Allie, um, he had been writing her all of these letters about how much he loved her and just how much he wanted to be with her and have this relationship with her. And she was engaged to someone else, and there was this conflict. And um, he says to her, what do you want? What do you want? And Allie was so 